So when little boys are playing, and as I used to do myself, uh, in a sand pit or on a beach, um, we like building sandcastles and like nice big sandcastles. Then when you get a little more advanced, you can kind of reinforce your sandcastles maybe with a bit of seaweed inside. Uh, it's, a, it's like reinforced concrete. It's like a child's version of reinforced concrete or maybe you put in sticks or things. And then when it's all built and when it's all looking the business, generally what will kids do? They'll wreck it. <laughs> they build, you build it all up. You spend all this time and effort and money and sweat and blood and tears. Uh, you build up this thing and then once it's built, you just wreck it. You just drive through it or get your little brother and swing him through it or whatever it is. You, 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 you build something in order to destroy it. Uh, usually, hopefully, we grow out of that. And then you get to a stage where you start to, to build things that you want to keep, build things that you like. Remember, I, I used to build uh, model airplanes, right? So they'd be like, yeah, big, or 172nd um, scale. And uh, you build the model, but then after it's built, like you paint it, but you paint it with, with a pin, like, you know, you get a little drop of paint and you, like, because it's tiny, tiny details. So you have to paint revets on a plane and there's, you know, thousands of them. So you get a pin and you just dunk, 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 painstaking. Afterwards, like, you have this perfect scale model that looks fantastic. Now, this is not the kind of thing that you've built to wreck, right? <laughs> this thing goes up on the shelf behind a glass uh, door, if at all possible, and you will dust it meticulously with um, a feather. Uh, periodically, because you've put effort into this thing. Okay, why am I saying all of this? When God creates, he creates more like the second thing there. God doesn't create anything to destroy it. God doesn't take, he doesn't create anything, and then sure, we'll see how it goes, maybe the whole thing will blow up. That's not how God works, because what, what God creates is an expression of his love, is an outpouring of his love. So when he creates us, every single detail is known and loved and willed into existence and held in existence. So there's nothing about us that's a mistake. There's nothing about us that, that, that God got wrong. There are things about us, yes, we would like were different. Some of us might like to be tall or short or black or white or bald or more hair, or bigger, stronger, I don't know, faster. Uh, we could, all sorts of things we might, younger, we might like to be all sorts of things, okay? But... From God's perspective, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing lacking in how he has created you. When you make model planes or boats or anything, another, and, and actually even maybe, maybe to, to, to turn to something a little more religious, when you make statues, after these kind of statues have been hand-carved and crafted and painted, the really expensive ones, you rough them up. You get a bit of it's a, it's a special kind of paint. It's a kind of a treacly type tar kind of thing. And you paint the statue and then you half clean it off. So it makes the statue look old. It gives the statue kind of shading and, and, and three dimensions. Some even go along with a, little, um, a small little tack and a pin to make it look like it has had woodworm. So some of the very expensive statues are made look old. We have one in the office there as well, which is, uh, it's again, painted meticulously wonderful. But then afterwards, it's kind of roughed up to make it look really old. So in the artist's mind, these apparent flaws are actually an advantage. They're actually something good. The flaws that we think we have, the things that we lack in God's mind aren't, aren't a problem. They're not an obstacle. In fact, if anything, it's often because of these things that we go to him. It's because of our need 
we go to God. If we didn't have need, if we had everything always exactly as we wanted, we would forget him. We would. So it's in these times when, when we feel our own uh, <coughs> like sadness or nothingness or loneliness or grief or pain or sickness or illness, it's often in these kind of moments that our faith can really, really deepen because we discover we haven't got it all together. I need God. I need him. I need him. And the more I discovered that, the more I'm ready for heaven. The more I'm ready for heaven. In our reading today, we have a, it's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, couple of lines from, uh, from the Book of Wisdom. You love all that exists. You hold nothing of what you have made in abhorrence. You spare all things because all things are yours. O Lord, lover of life. So we're held in existence by God, by his love. He doesn't create us to destroy us, as it says here as well. You are merciful to all, because you can do all things. You are merciful to all. So this reading has a very, very interesting balance between God loving everything that exists and holding everything that exists uh, in, in the palm of his hand, being merciful, and then it balances it with the next thing. Little by little, therefore, you correct those who offend you. But it says little by little. So God isn't there as this billowing, bellowing judge, roaring our faults and failures at us, embarrassing us, uh, calling us disgraceful, pushing us down, cornering us, and then pointing out our sins. That's not how he works. Not my words, words of the Book of Wisdom. Little by little, little by little, he corrects us. So step by step, he wants to get us back to the right direction, but not because like, we have disappointed him, not because we have angered him, but because he loves us. I mean, sometimes I think we, need, we need a kind of a change of mentality here, because uh, I think so often when we think of our sinfulness and that, we, we, I think we think of anger and judgment and retribution. We don't think of a loving father who wants us to avoid sin because sin won't make us happy. He has not created us just to see how things will go. He has not created us to destroy us. He has created us out of a gift of pure love and holds us in existence. Which means then all of the, the, the positive aspects of fatherhood are also true. We can make him proud. We can make him happy. We can console him. So often we think, yeah, we can disappoint him, we can anger him. Yeah, yeah. Well, all the other stuff is true as well, though. When he sees us fight, when he sees us struggle with something, but we, we're, we're choosing to fight and we're choosing to pray and we're choosing virtue and we're choosing to overcome our feelings or our capricious reactions, we choose to overcome them. He sees that too. He sees those victories. So often it's, we have to get back to basics, you know. And this this one basic, beautiful truth is that God is our loving Father. God is our loving Father. And the best of fathers, better than any human father, better than any earthly father. And so any good father loves their child, loves them not because they're perfect. And even if they have a slight little limp, does that make the father love them any less? Even if they are a little small or a little tall or a little whatever it is, are they loved any less? Not a bit. In the father's eyes, they're perfect. 
But then if the child is out of line, any good father will say, listen now, you're being a bit rowdy. Isn't that right, parents? If, when a child won't sit still, right? any good parent will say, quiet it down, you know? But not because they dislike the child or the child has disappointed them or something, but because they love their child. So everything that God allows, if we could just see it, everything that God allows is a gift of his love. If we could just recognize it through his, his perspective. We're held in existence by his love. Just to finish, the Novena of Surrender from Don Delindo, uh, a priest down in Naples, around the time of Padre Pio, uh, he put together this new Novena of Surrender, which is very, very powerful and very beautiful. But I just wanted to quote to you uh, the, the second day of the Novena. So this Novena of Surrender, what's it about? It's about God has given us intelligence and autonomy and responsibility. But he doesn't want us to do all of these things without him. He wants us to work with him. So in my problems, in my priesthood, in your uh, parenthood, that we can live those things responsibly, but at the same time surrender them to God. So you've brought children into the world and you say, Lord, thank you for my wonderful children. I give them to you. Or I have, I have a job that I, where I get to serve you, Lord. May that job serve you. Lord, I have a, a parish or an, an office that I'm responsible for. Lord, I surrender that to you. I give it to you. Okay? And when you hear these words, when you hear what Jesus says here to Don Delindo, I, I, when I hear them, I always realize that, that I, I hold on to things too much. I take too much responsibility on myself. That I need to give these things over to God. So what does, what does Jesus say to him? He says, surrender does not mean to worry, to be upset, or to lose hope. Nor does it mean to bring to me a worried prayer. Oh my goodness, I'm going to die. God help me. It's not the worst thing to say, but that's not what surrender is. Okay? It's not surrendering to me a worried prayer, asking me to follow and change your worry into prayer. This is against surrender, deeply against it, to worry and to be nervous and to desire to think about the consequences of anything. It's like the confusion that children feel when they ask their mother to see to their needs and then they try to take care of those needs for themselves. Mammy, can I have a pizza? Yes. No, don't worry, Mammy, I'll take care of it myself, says your six-year-old, as they go over to the oven, the electric oven, and turn, or the gas oven, maybe even more dangerous, yeah? And the child wants to cook a... You know we have to take the pizza out of the box. You knew that, did you? <laughs> you they bring their needs to their mother and then try to take care of those needs for themselves so that their childlike efforts get in their mother's way. Surrender means to placidly close the eyes of your soul, to turn away from thoughts of tribulation, and to put yourself into my care, so that only I act. And you say, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. This, brothers and sisters, is probably the story of our lives, to try and live that. To, to, to be responsible for what God has given to us, and yet say, Jesus, I surrender it to you. Take care of everything. You've created me out of love. You hold me in existence. I'm not, I'm not perfect. But because you love me, you direct me. Because you love me, you correct me. And in all of this, you ask me to surrender what I have 
been given to you, to trust you, to trust your guidance of my soul and trust your guidance of my life. So we ask today, Lord, for a deeper surrender to you, knowing that we're surrendering ourselves to a Father who loves us. We're giving ourselves back to our divine Father who holds us in the palm of his hand and who's proud of us every time we pray and every time we succeed and every time we overcome a difficulty and every time we choose virtue. He sees all of that. He knows us and he loves us. So may the Lord today renew and deepen our strength, our surrender, and our resolve. Amen.